Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Thursday morning, and if I can, I want to say uh, something about Elul. Uh, thanks for those patronizing it. Um, now, as I said the other day, I was in Lakewood while I was. Driving around, I was thinking, some ideas came to my head in the context of the original history of Elul that I was talking about last week, and I wanted to um, share them and carry the story forward um, in a way that I think is interesting, and that is as follows. Last week, I mentioned, if we asked ourselves the question, what exactly is Elul? It goes back to, um, because in the Gemara, there's no special thing about Elul. It's not Talmudic. Here you get a historical nut because um hard to crack. But uh, the Talmud doesn't... If you do the numbers of 40, 40, 40, like I said last week, L is indeed the last 40 days that Moshe went up. But that's 40 days. There's no such thing as Rosh Hashanah. There is Yom Kippur. 40 days after Moses went up the third time, God gave him the second tablets and forgave them to whatever degree he did. So that's Yom Kippurim. That makes sense. Where do you get Rosh Hashanah from? That's the famous question, which is an obvious question in Iran, is the one I quoted, because he's usually the reason that's most famously associated with asking that question. And among other things, Iran said this answer, which I thought was very fascinating, and that is, F. Sharod Shemir Rosh Hashanah B'Yom Kippur, the last 10 days when Moshe was up there, Hischel Hashem L'Hisratzos L'Moshe, God started to crack and give in to Moshe L'Hisratzos, to be appeased by the prayer. So Moshe had been up there for 30 days. And by the 31st day, God started to be Misratzeh. V'yam ha-kippurim, Nisratzeh lo-lagamri. L'fikal ratzeh ha-kadosh barakul, lo-dum b'riyosa b'zman shehokpeh l'chaparos lichel. And that's why you, you have the um, Rosh Hashanah. He doesn't exactly explain over there why, but it comes across that the day God started to crack and give in and say, all right, maybe I'll forgive you, that became Yom Adin. And the day he totally gave in, and said, all right, I totally forgive you, and I'll prove it to you by giving the second tablet, that became Yom Kippur. It's just a very interesting kind of uh, way of approaching it. Interesting, original uh, uh, thought. Not 100% clear. Now, I'll tell you where I'm going with this. Do you, do you, do you mean, you know, the, it's kind of a anthropomorphic. You know, you start a, basically the idea goes like this. <clears throat> you're appealing to God, you're appealing to God, you're appealing to God. And eventually, if I drain a cup, so much so, so many prayers, so much intensity, God says, all right, I'll forgive you. Like that. It's a very human way of looking at it. I wear you down. Every child knows that works with the parents. You know, eventually wears you down. So is that how we understand the story that Iran is, the, the, the scenario that Iran is propounding? It's a little weird. But then again, the whole story is weird. Because, I repeat, um, we had this custom, and this is what made me think about this, of blowing the chauffeur in L, as everybody knows. Uh, this custom is not Talmudic. 
It's not a din, it's a minhug. As far as history is concerned, it seems to be from the Middle Ages. However, the source isn't Picker of Lesser. I'll tell you the truth, this morning, because I remember reading one time, I did the Myril the other day, and somebody said, oh, the Myril's like the source of Dominica blowing the shofar when we do. You know, the Sephardim blow it in the Slichas, and the Ashkenazim blow it towards the end. Different customs. Some Ashkenazi customs are that you stop on Erev Chodesh, as I mean, Erev Rosh Hashanah, as we all know. There are Ashkenazi customs, uh, Old Frankfurt, that you stop three days before Rosh Hashanah. There's nothing hard and fast. And because there's nothing hard and fast, so it's more like a minhug, you know? And yet, just from my own curiosity this morning, I opened up the tour, because the tour precedes the Maril. The Maril's in the early 1400s. The tour is about almost a century earlier. And the tour, you know, without giving much thought to it, says, oh, Moshe went up to the mountain, and they passed, uh, and they uh, they blew the chauffeur to remind everybody not to make a golden calf again, right? Shalom yitu odach avodazara, and lochen hiskilu hiskinu chachamenu zal she took him chodeshel b'chol shana b'shana. So therefore, the chachamim made a takana. I said to myself, the chacham made a takana. That would mean it's a din. We don't regard to kiyah chauffeur nel as a din. You see, it's a minhag. That's why you have different ways of doing it. It's an old minhug. It's a biggie. It's throughout Kali Yisrael, I think. But it's a minhug. Uh, right? Right? The language that he used, Hiskinu Chachamein Zal, that's like a drabona, like a Talmudic law. I said, where's that from? But then, I simply walked back a little bit. And he opened up the original source, which is the Medish Picker of Lezer. And indeed, he's just quoting from Picker of Lezer, who says that, you know, Moshe went up the mountain to pray 40 days, and they blew the shofar, Heviru, which is an interesting language. Uh, so it says they blew the shofar. Which, by the way, does that mean throughout the camp, they blew shofars like we do today. Every neighborhood has a shofar blower. After all, we're talking about three million people. <clears throat> I see some sources say they took the shofar, they had a specific shofar, and they blew it all day long, you know, moving from neighborhood to neighborhood. So it's the shofar. That's where you get like an old Nashkin. In other words, I bet you there's, seriously, I'm, I'm not being funny yet. I bet you there's somebody who says they took the shofar of Yitzhak and blew it throughout the camp. There must be some Kabbalistic type thing like that. But anyway... The plain thing is they blew the shofar. And it says, HaKadosh Baruch Nisal shofar. Whatever that means, that God was Nisalet. So he liked it. Okay? I don't know what that means. Um, but uh, but whatever the case is, there was something positive going on, spiritually. But remember, the Ron says he didn't start to be Misrat until Rosh Chodesh So whatever Nisalet means, for 30 days, nothing was happening. And then it says, Alkane, I'm reading the language of Picker of Lezer. Alkane Hiskinu Chachamenu, Hachacham Shiutokim Shover Shor Shal Bachol Shan Vashan. Sinever the Chacham made a Takana. Whoa! That's an interesting phrase. Now, the trouble is, Picker of Lezer, as everybody who's familiar with it knows, is a funny kind of Medrash. It's not exactly like the Medrash Rabbah, 
But on the other hand, it's not exact. It's not a funny one either. But there's elements of anachronism in there. This is W. Dua. He's got Mohammed in there and Mohammed's wife and things like that. And there are parts of Picker of Lazar that are older and parts that are later. Uh, this is well known to all the scholars who know about the subject. You won't find it in the Pirish of Radal, because he wasn't that type. That's what it is. And in my opinion, uh, as far as I can tell, it's probably over here, because it, it, if this is true, then you're telling me there's a Takanas Chazal, Hiskin Chachamina. When you hear the expression Takanas Chazal, you have to understand that means that there was a formal law made, a Drabonan. And once upon a time there was a Sanhedrin, there isn't now, but there was then. And if you make the Takanas, it means they passed a law, you know, an executive session that all Jews should blow the show for Unel. Uh, it doesn't seem so. Seem more like like I said before, it's a minute. That's how how we treat it. But whatever the case is, you see over here that the source of blowing the chauffeur goes back famously to this incident. There's another theory about Marvin Sutton, but I'm talking about the historical approach, the from historical approach, that the reason you blow chauffeur and Elo is because the original Elo, and the original Elo was the third time forty days happened when Moses went up there. Praying for the third time. And you're telling me that God started to crack and give in what we would call Rosh Hashanah. But we all know that God doesn't crack. So what does it mean? And I want to repeat, the original language in Pirkei Blazer, if you want to go by that, and that's the source, says, as soon as they blew the shofar, nis aleh, HaKadosh Baruch Hu shofar. It's already had an effect on Hashem. Now, I guess you could say, well, it started to have an effect, but it didn't really have an effect until 30 days. But it doesn't sound to me like the Ron is going like that. And that led me to think that the following happened. And that is, the Jews, what was going on in the, in the month of El? You'll tell me the Jews are praying. It doesn't say that anywhere. It says Moshe was praying. He went up to pray on their behalf. They were downstairs, and they weren't dominating. They had enough trouble just to stop themselves from making another golden calf. That's why they're blowing the shofar all the time. Right? Uh, Moshe went up. Uh, I mean, Hashem said to Moshe, Alei Eli Yohara. He didn't say, Alu Eli. And he didn't say, get everybody to daven downstairs. You'll be a shots, a shliach zebra, literally. And you go up and pray. Because you know how to do it. And the people downstairs, the best thing you can say is don't let them screw up again and don't make another golden calf. So that's interesting. And Moshe is praying on their behalf. What are they doing downstairs? I don't know. It doesn't say. You can give me a frummy answer if you want. Or not. Depends who you are. Moshe is often angry at them in the book of Dvarn for their not praying on his behalf. We don't find... Correct me if I'm wrong. You know, Fried, that I can think of offhand, uh, cases where the Jewish people, as a people, pray uh, in the desert. Am I wrong about that? I know Moshe prays on their behalf. Isn't that interesting? I don't know if they, if it's mentioned that the Jewish people, you know, pray in some way, collectively ask God. It seems more like they went into that 
but they relied on their chazan, on Moshe Rabbeinu. And that's certainly what happens over here. It doesn't say, for example, that when Moses cracked, cracked, smashed the two tablets and God said, I'll kill everybody, it doesn't say that the whole Jewish people got on their hands and knees and said, oh Lord, don't kill us, please. We're sorry. I don't think so. Maybe by the Moroccan it says, Hinevolino, but not really. You see, if the book was written like our scroll perspective, you see all the whole Jewish people got on their hands and knees. Forgive us, O Lord, we'll promise never to do this again. Mr. Moshe is the Shliach over here. And the same is the case in El the third time. Moshe is the one going up there. Now, the best he could hope for, it seems when minimalistic, when you're dealing with three million people, and that is, at least don't make another golden calf. At least stick with the plan of worshiping one God. And it worked. For 30 days, they didn't make a golden calf. What happens if you go for 30 days without committing a, a sin to which you're addicted? It can be that that itself has a certain effect on you. They say that I've read the people stop smoking after a while. The smoke, the bad stuff goes away. You know, the no, the residual effect of refraining from doing something bad can somehow or other be a very powerful positive force. I think there's a passage like that in Tehillim, Aflo Paulo Oven, something like that, right? How's it go? Aflo Paulo Avlo, Tadikim Yichashu, something like that. In in Psalm one nineteen, right? Um. If those who don't do a sin can be accounted righteous, which means if you refrain from doing something for a long time to which you're addicted, you kind of liberate, it's a transformative. That's a general policy of tshuva. It's a very appropriate thing for month of El. And some, uh, no, to use a regular example, suppose somebody's addicted, I'm just making this up, to um, saying Lashon Hara. But then he says, I'm going to have a real Lush and Horror campaign in a month of L. Chances are, by the time it's over, he's not going to go back to Lush and Horror anymore. He detoxed. <laughs> you know what I mean? He got out of it. Now, that seems, as far as I can tell, what happens to the Jews, listen closely, in the month of L, or at least by the end of it. Because the question is, what exactly is Rosh Hashanah? And Iran says things started to crack on Rosh Hashanah. They always started to crack on Rosh Hashanah. And proceeded to continually crack until they reached their crescendo, or their, their culmination, on Yom Kippurim. I think it means like this. Moshe was doing the heavy lifting on behalf of everybody dominating for 30 days. But the fact that the Jewish people, as a people, stood behind Moshe and expressed that by blowing the chauffeur, which means they're trying to say, listen, we have this addiction to golden calves, we're trying to beat it. I'm sure for some people it's easier, some people it's harder. And as a collective, they did beat it. So their own activity, their own way of thinking, their own relation to God, changed, slowly, 
And by the time you get to what you and I call Rosh Hashanah, the first day of Tishrei, you start to see not just Moshe praying, but the people downstairs. Or to use a better language, to do Teshuvah. Right? I'm talking about Teshuvah Elo'o, not Teshuvah Tatol. When they were doing 30 days, the month of Elo, and Moshe is praying from upstairs, the only reason they're not making a golden calf is because they're scared God will kill them again. Right? If you have to blow a shofar every day and say, don't make a golden calf, what you're saying is, don't forget, you almost got killed last time. If Moshe hadn't gone up there the second 40 days, you guys would be all dead. It's like saying, you know, if you take this drug, you take LSD, it'll kill you. So that's called Teshuvah Meira, Teshuvah Tatov. You're afraid of punishment. But after a while, depending on who you are, you can get past that and start to think in loftier terms. That is one, one, what one hopes happens with his or her Teshuva process ever, at all times. Every one of us would like to be Lishma. Not so easy. In fact, it's quite hard. And to do Teshuva, you know, Mi'avah and all that. And this farm all right, Teshuva Mi'avah. Which is a easy ideal to proclaim, not so easy to be Mekayim. And then we all know they say, which is true. Occasionally. And that's what's happening over here. In the month of El Lishma, is that a fear? And then it seems that starting Rosh Hashanah, things start to change. Now listen closely. What do I mean when I say things start to change? The Jews downstairs, not Moshe up on the mountain. He's the same guy he was before. He's plugging away. But what is Moshe doing? Is he simply saying, I want to be the lawyer on behalf of the Jewish people? That's the minimal. I think Moshe really wanted to do was to inspire the people downstairs to move past golden calfism. He wanted to make the people downstairs, who he left behind, move to, to Shu Miyawa, if possible. Now, the, the simple fact is, it's not possible for everybody. Shu Miyawa is not possible for everybody. I mean, theoretically it is. But socially, it's not. Instead, what are you going to find? Some are built that way, some are not. So where am I going with all this? Tzadik and Benjamin and Mishoyim. It seems to me, if you follow this line of reasoning with Iran, logically, what ha I'm suggesting the scenario that Moshe is davening away for 30 days. And by the 31st day, the Tzadikim downstairs the frummies at the bottom have moved themselves to Teshuvi law. They had been described as Sadiqim in the sense that they had not that they had refrained from making a calf. But they weren't holding by Teshuviyah, which is a lofty business. But by 30 days of thinking, and again, staying off of drugs, staying off of golden calves, staying off of other avodah being in a, in a somber mood, shall we say. One element of Kali Yisrael moved to a Moshe level. And they were the Tzadikim, as we would call them, the front part. And indeed we know, we all know from the Gemara, that for a Tzadik, who's a real Tzadik, 
It's all over in Rosh Hashanah. You don't need Yom Kippur. The only thing is we don't know who we are, so we regard ourselves as Bainim Halavai. But we all know, if somehow or other I could tell that you were a real side of Gomer, you could basically stay away from Shalom Yom Kippur. What do you need it for? Oh, you can counter in for the claw, but you know you understand what I'm saying. And indeed, this would be nothing but reflective of the historical fact that by the time you came to what we call the first day of, Russia, of, of, of Tishrei, X number of Jews, let's just say a third for the argument's sake, one third of Klai Yisrael got past their old way of thinking and reached the point of Teshuvah Me'avo. And they were, so to speak, Zohar, Lautel, Chaim, Lashalm, whatever you call it. But there were others, as is natural in such a large group. And with them, as you see where I'm going, they started to be Misratzeh. They started to move in that direction. But they didn't get there for 10 days. So the Beninim third of the Kla Yisrael, on that original Elo, on that original 40 days, the Beninim part didn't attain the level of the Tzadikim group. But rather, they began, like he says, his chilehirts ratzots. And over the course of the next 10 days, was it gradual? I don't know, you know, how exactly it happened. Was it 10%, 10%, 10% every day? Was it some other way? By the time you get to Yom Kippur, they had reached the level of the Tzadikim themselves. They had done the Teshuv Miyavah. And then there was the other third that did not. They did not. They were the Rishayim. Two thirds did, one third did not. Again, I'm just using rough numbers. That's called Yom Kippurim. You understand? That's called Yom Kippurim. What about the Rosham? Well, they, you know, in Hanami, had had everybody just been Rosham, there would be no Rosh Hashanah, there would be no Yom Kippur. So the origins of Rosh Hashanah would be the day two things happen. The day Group A transformed to Tshuva and the day Group B began the process of transforming to Tshuva It's not easy to reach. What about the Rishon, who were not killed? That's the idea of Klal Yisrael. This is the origin of the famous old Jewish idea that the good slept to bed with him. The good slept to bed with him, right? As I mentioned many times, and as the, uh, you know, Silas and others talk about, that a Klal Yisrael means... That the tzaddikim, the chassidim, as he puts it, the others, use their mitzvahs to schlep the others along. And in point of actual historical fact, once that first Yom Kippur happened, the Rishayim got through. It doesn't say that when the 10th of 
Tishrei showed up. God gave the Lukoshneos, but he killed the one-third that were bit. As you find in other occasions in the desert. The people who sinned with the Benos Mov, the whole group died. The people who sinned with the, uh, you know, just dropped dead right there. The people that sinned with the Korach thing dropped dead right there. The people that complained about the food at one point, Habas or Tanusha, dropped dead right there. Repeatedly you find the wicked are exterminated. But not on Yom Kippurim. What happened was, God gave the second tablets, and he basically was saying, these people who are the Roshayim part, I'll let them go for the sake of the whole group. And second of all, I want you guys, now that you've reached the level of Tshuva as a person who's done Tshuva you naturally are going to want to be mashpia in a, in a good way on the ones who aren't there yet. Because the person who's a Tshuva naturally has the kind of attitude that my mitzvahs are my bank account and keep your stinking fingers off my money. I went to shul this morning. I put on tefillin. I kept Shabbos and you didn't. So I want all the credit. Let's say you get $100 per mitzvah. I want all those $300 per mitzvah in my bank account. You didn't do it. So you shouldn't get any of it. But the person who said Shumiyava isn't like that, right? person who me out, he said, I wonder what Hashem wants. Hashem wants me to take the money out of my account and put it in the other guy's account. I I earned it. I kept Shabbos. He didn't keep Shabbos. It doesn't matter. Right? For Avis Yisrael, you want that your Sechusim should go for the other person. So it turns out that the original Rosh Hashanah and the original Yom Kippurim became the models for all these Talmudic ideas that you find out today. Which is the tzaddikim, the benedim, and the and rishon, and the one is nichtav l'alter l'chaim l'shalom, and the other one takes ten days. And then you have the rishon. I'm not going to get into the kabbalistic business, you know, like Abe Schitz does. The rishon go till shana rab. Leave that out. Although, maybe we'll return to that. But I think, and the point I'm making obviously today is that if you fear ice, if you if you follow through logically, the suggested scenario of the run, where Hashem started to change, he's using, you know, anthropomorphic language, kaviyachal language. The Jewish people started Mimisratza. That's a better way of looking at it. I think, from a logical perspective, from a human perspective. So I would amend it to say, after Shem Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, Hishchilu Kla Yisrael Lehisratzes, you know, rather than the language of um, of the Ron. But it comes out to the same thing. In which case, the Mount of El was uh, important in that, like I said before, it makes, it has the detox effect. A lot of what we do in, when involved with Averis is the idea that, you know, you're, you're toxified, <laughs> right? It's hard to get rid of sins that you're sort of addicted to. You know, we're all you. Know, I'm like that. You're like that. You know, certain things are attached to. And to go cold turkey is very hard. Usually, what you need is a period of some kind of a detox, right? Fasting is associated with this. It's just that instead of switching from super wicked to super good, see if you can get along by dropping the wicked stuff.
You don't have to pick up the good stuff. That'll happen in Mela. Maybe it's more organic even. But the bad stuff, just, just let it go. Or just refrain. And when you say, I can't live two days without eating hot dogs, you find that you can, and even three days and four days, the next thing you know, you're not interested in hot dogs anymore. I can't live without watching that TV show every week. And then you find out you can. <laughs> you know? Two weeks go by, three weeks, four weeks. You, you see where I'm going with this. And if that's the case, then this rounds out to my uh, uh, way of thinking how in rabbinic literature we, we would Im imagine, understand that original Elul and how it, how it relates to us. Now, this would be the original history of Elul. I think it works. And anyway, that's my suggestion. And with that, I wish you a, a good day. It's a, I think it's food for thought. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.